0: Wouldn't have the intro i know but we're here it's good i'm glad uh, because we have a lot that we got to cover today hey welcome to autism live and to let's talk autism with shannon and nancy i'm nancy all spot jackson and i'm shannon penrod and uh we're really excited to be here with you today we got a big big show and a guest who's already here with us let me just quickly say that you can interact like every other time we do this show we are live right now on Periscope, YouTube, Facebook Live, and Twitter, and you can respond. You can write in on any of those platforms, and it shows up right here so that Nancy and I and our guest uh, can you know, get, get your question and either help to answer it or give it to our guest that's here. We're going to do news a little bit later on today, but we got a great guest right at the top of the show for you this morning. Nancy, uh, we love Karen Nolte, don't we?
2: Yes, we love Karen. She's always dropping by with great advice for us and uh, information.
0: Yeah, Karen is part of, and I think she's the the, the head, I, I will have to ask her, of the research group that is at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. They're a team of people who put together uh, information for all of us to be able to consume. And once a month, somebody from the team comes and joins us to talk about a specific topic that we've given them a heads up that you guys are interested in. So if you want to know about research about a certain subject, then um, let us know and we will let them know. So Karen, is Karen here, Traven? I think okay. she is. Yes, there she, there she is, Karen. How are you?
1: I am good. How are you? Glad to be on today.
0: Well, and am I wrong? What is your What is your title now for the research department? Sure, my title is research director.
1: So I do yeah. head up all of our research projects and the work that we do on that team. And you help us
2: decode and break it down because for a lot <laughs> of us moms, the stuff can get very complicated and hard to understand.
0: Definitely. Uh,
1: (laughs) Even for clinicians.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yes. And you break stuff down for our clinicians too. You know, I always used to wonder like doctors go to school and then they graduate. And then I always thought, you know, how are they continuing to Mm. get their information? And as I grew up, you know, I knew about conferences and, and publications and things like that. But I, but I see that sometimes when someone is working, it's hard to keep up on the research and often they will have subscribed to a service or something to help them to keep up on the research. And at CARD, we, you know, we participate in all those things, but we also have this team of people that helps us all to keep up with the times. And you had that up, so that's a really wonderful thing. Remind us what it is that you're talking with us about this morning, Karen.
1: Yes, I'm talking about bullying this morning. And you know, it's something we hope no child has to endure, but I hope by sharing some information, we can better help our kids. So we've Wonderful. got new research
2: on that. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Great.
0: Okay, so to I'm gonna mute things. and I'm gonna drop my camera out. Okay. Sure.
1: So uh first I want to talk about what bullying is and isn't, because without a clear definition, we may be talking about very different things. You know, two people may think bullying is something different. And in the research, there are three things that we look for that make something is what we consider bullying. And the first is intentionality. The person doing the bullying has to have an intent to harm. It doesn't have to be physical harm, but there has to be that intent there to be counted as bullying. And the second thing is a pattern of repetition. And this means that, you know, if a kid makes one mean comment to another child, that is not bullying. There has to be that repeated pattern to be considered to be considered bullying here. Um, and there has to be some kind of power imbalance between the bully and victim. And I think you know a classic example you see on TV shows and movies is a bully who's physically bigger. Um, this could also include a bully who's older. And in the case of our kids with autism, this imbalance could be a bully who doesn't have a developmental disability and a victim who does. Um, so those are the three things that really make something bullying. That's what we're talking about um, as far as all of this research that I'm sharing here today. And I wanna share a bit next about how often this is occurring. And there is consensus, unfortunately, that bullying occurs more for autistic kids than for neurotypical kids. And there's a recent article by Park and colleagues just published this year that showed that 67% of kids with autism were victims of bullying. So that is two out of every three kids have experienced bullying. And, you know, this is more in the preteen teen teen years that we see this happening, you know, but this is compared to, you know, in the neurotypical population, we only see about 20% of kids experience bullying. So this is a big difference and, you know, different studies show different percentages, but in general, the risk for bullying is almost two and a half times more for a child with autism. Um, So. There are some breakdowns of some different types of bullying. And I think it's important to understand those categories so that we know what this looks like a little bit more specifically. Um, so that first category is physical bullying. And th- this is kind of what we think about. We see this a lot on TV. This is hitting, pushing, breaking someone's items. Those sorts of things fall under that category. Um, the second category is verbal bullying. And this is you know teasing, taunting, making threats. Um, that is all under that second category. A third category here includes relational or social bullying, and this tends to be the most difficult to identify, and this looks like, you know, excluding a kid from a group or from play, or spreading rumors. Um, I think this is something that we typically think about girls doing more, and and there is some evidence that, that, you know, females are engaged a little bit more in this type of bullying. Um, and the last category is relatively new cyberbullying. So this is you know, using technology with the intent of harming someone else. So some examples here are trolling, posting pictures of someone that they don't want posted. You know, and this is especially concerning to me because a lot of children, especially autistic children, are drawn to technology and they may often be accessing the, these technology uh, elements without supervision um so especially these last three categories the verbal the social the cyber they tend to be underplayed by a lot of people because they're not as obvious as the physical bullying Um, but they are very very important for us to cue into for our kids Um, so in terms of these four categories verbal bullying occurs the most often Um, that is 58 percent of the autistic children experience verbal bullying um next is the relational or social bullying that was about uh a third of children and same with physical was it a little under a third and cyberbullying actually kind of surprised me that this was the least frequently seen at about 15 percent um, so that's just a little bit of an understanding of what bullying looks like what our kids are experiencing how often they're experiencing it there are also some patterns that are shown in the research in terms of age. So we see that verbal and the social bullying especially are seen more actually in younger children um, than in adolescents. So it's seen more in the group of kids between like five and 12 years of age. And at first that kind of surprised me when I saw that finding, but, but I think it makes sense. And this is also you know a consistent pattern between kids with autism and uh, the neurotypical population. So you know, there's some potential explanations for this. It's possible that as kids get older, they have more coping strategies. Maybe they're better at ignoring bullying. Maybe bullies, you know, turn their sights elsewhere. You know, so between that five to twelve year range is where is where I think most of this bullying is seen, especially that verbal and social component.
0: Karen, can I chime in for a second? You're blowing our minds here with a couple of different things. And Nancy, chime in if you want to too. I mean, what you just said just totally rocked me back onto my heels because I can remember when my son was six and we started experiencing bullying at school for the first time. And I remember just saying to everyone, I'm just so shocked. I thought this was going to happen when he was a teenager. But the really worst of the bullying for him happened, you know, in those years when he was in elementary school. And you're saying that that is statistically accurate and that blows my mind. Uh, Nancy, I'm wondering if you knew that too. And, and I also have to say Janet has said that excluding kids from the group was me. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. till you said that. And I am 60 years old now. So, you know, to, to hear for the first time, Oh my gosh, that's a thing. And recognize at, at sixty plus years, they said, uh, "You know what a powerful power." Uh, so, Nancy, anything blowing your doors off here so far? Yeah,
2: the, the, um, the the how many kids are bullied that are on the spectrum? The sheer number—two out of three kids on the spectrum are bullied, which you know that that blows my mind. So, I guess as as parents, we need to be aware of that statistic yeah. and, and watch out from a very young age, as you say, Shannon, I wasn't aware of bullying for Wyatt until he was older. Um, when, um, there were certain kids that were so-called red flags for him. And a couple of those red flag kids were, did bully him. And that was in, in high school, like in 10th grade. So I wasn't aware of it when he was younger, but, um, as you say, you were aware of it
0: when Jim was how old? Six. six, six was the first time and it was pretty intense. And I was just shocked, uh-huh. shocked about it. Uh, now, somebody else, you mentioned that cyberbullying is is significantly less, but mm-hmm. I have to wonder, there's an asterisk for me there. Is it because we aren't aware of it yet? Because we don't know. And somebody wrote in and said, I have a son with autism. He plays Minecraft, has friends who also play Minecraft. And I, I you know, I want to encourage people. We've had uh, Stuart Duncan on the show before, we see a lot of bullying happening on Minecraft and Roblox and Stuart Duncan created a server for Minecraft called Otcraft where everything is monitored, where they do not allow bullies. And if your child is the one who is doing something that's bullying, they will help them to understand why it's bullying. They don't kick him out, but they will talk to them and they'll talk to you and say, you know, we we can't have this and they'll teach better skills. So just be careful with the Minecraft because we see a lot of bullying that with that. And somebody else who says, I started being bullied when I started third grade, but I was undiagnosed with autism at the time. So I think this is a, a topic that's really resonating, Karen. I just wanted to chime in for a second. Nancy, do you have anything else? Or are we turning it back over to her? I think we can turn it back over to Karen. Okay, you go right ahead, Karen. Sure.
1: So I I think I have the same concerns and thoughts as as you about cyberbullying as well. I wonder if, you know, if it's happening when our parents and teachers aren't there, if that makes a difference. Um, And and next, I want to share a little bit of detail about how researchers gather information on bullying. There are four main ways, you know, number one, they can ask the individual themselves, the the student, the child. Um, Also, they sometimes ask kids to rate their peers. Basically, asking them to identify who in their class is a bully or a victim, um, or researchers can ask parents or teachers. So it's important to get information from all of those sources, and that's where I kind of have that same asterisk with cyberbullying because I don't think parents and teachers necessarily know everything going on in terms of technology. Um, and you know that Park study I mentioned earlier—they included uh, information from from lots of different studies. Um, with kids identifying the bullying themselves, uh, parents and teachers identifying it. So we have a lot more confidence when we, when we talk about um, studies that receive this information from lots of different places. Um, but something that, that you might be thinking and something I've definitely considered when talking about bullying with my clients is, you know, are autistic kids accurate at identifying if bullying is occurring? because autism involves deficits in social skills, and you know, to recognize that bullying is occurring, you have to have an understanding of social cues and relationships, right? Um, so there are researchers who set out to answer this very question. Um, so these researchers in 2010, Volkel, Schultz, and Dyden, um, examined whether autistic adolescents were able to perceive bullying accurately. So they looked at adolescents between 12 and 19 years of age who attended special schools. And I do wanna point out that the students in this study had a mean IQ um, that was just about average. Um, So that is definitely a certain segment of the population and it may not apply to all kids with autism. And they also included a control of adolescents without autism for comparison. And what they did was they showed those students uh, clips of either bullying was occurring in the clips or bullying was not occurring. And they asked them to score if it was present or not. And another piece of that study was assessing theory of mind, Um, and that is, you know, theory of mind is related to one of those core deficits of autism perspective taking and it involves the ability to understand that others have thoughts feelings and knowledge that's different from one's own. Um, And one of the tests that you may or may not have heard of is um, the Sally Ann test. And this was one of the tests that they did here. Um, And I'll give you, I'll I'll run through it really quickly because I think it gives a good description of what theory of mind is. And for this test, for the Sally Ann test, kids are shown a series of pictures. And in the first picture, there's Sally. She takes a marble and she hides it in her basket. Uh, There's then a picture of her leaving the room, going for a walk. In the next picture, while she's away, Anne comes in, takes the marble out of Sally's basket and puts it in her own. In the final question, Sally then comes back into the room and the child or the student is asked the question, where is Sally going to look for her marble? Um, Because the child knows that the marble is in Anne's basket, but Sally doesn't know that because she was not in the room. So this is one of the ways that researchers um, and clinicians can test for, for that theory of mind, that perspective taking. So what the researchers found in this study was on that video scoring task, um, the autistic adolescents made few mistakes, not many mistakes, and their ability to perceive bullying was actually on par with the adolescents without autism. So this tells me that you know our, our kids are able to identify whether or not they're being bullying as long as they're given a clear definition, which they were in this study. Um, and the other thing that they found, too, was that the higher the adolescent rated the lo- uh, the higher the adolescent rated on theory of mind on that test, the less mistakes they made. Um, so that also is related to their ability to identify um, if bullying is occurring. So I think, you know, in a nutshell, this tells us that that we can we can trust the information that our kids are telling us uh, as far as self-reporting bullying. Um, one other interesting note that I want to point out with this study is that, you know, this study was with a, a special school setting and they did find, cause they also asked the students to talk about if they were bullies or not, um, there was less victimization than in the general education setting. And this is unfortunately consistent with previous research which really shows that kids in inclusive school settings and inclusive classroom settings experience more victimization. And this could be due to that inherent power imbalance that I talked about earlier, where in an inclusive setting there are kids with and without disabilities. So when kids are included, they definitely need some more consideration in terms of um, making sure to avoid bullying. Um, so I want to talk briefly next about just the consequences of bullying. And you know, I think you know we may be aware of this already, but, but there are some pretty serious consequences that we should be aware of. Um, and this is for you know consistent patterns of bullying. We see with our kids long-term psychological problems. You know we can see increased anxiety, increased depression, uh, problems in school, um, more externalizing behaviors like meltdowns, yelling, aggression, delinquency, and specifically kids who experience bullying significantly more likely to think about or attempt suicide so this is so important for us to be aware of um, in our kids and you know next i want to talk about there are things that we can do so so i feel like i've been a bit of a downer thus far but there are things that we can do to help our kids Um, so school is where bullying occurs i think most often because this is where kids see other kids and this is the important first step in terms of intervention and prevention and i know a lot of our kids aren't in school right now um And we don't know if cyberbullying is occurring more since kids are experiencing a lot of remote learning, Um, but whether it's now or when your kids return to school, you can ask uh, the school and the staff some questions to to help. Um, And prevention, I think, is much better than intervention. So even if your child is not being bullied, given how often this occurs, it's important to follow up. So there is evidence that school-wide bullying programs are effective if they're implemented appropriately you know, when schools have clear policies, when they have clear consequences for bullies, um, we see uh, better outcomes and, and decrease bullying. So I would definitely encourage uh, any of the parents listening to find out what program is there in your school um, and make sure that there's clear communication between, between the parents and the school staff. Um, that's something that's really been shown to help a lot. Um, also, one specific thing is, you know, it uh, active supervision by adults in school on the playground really can prevent bullying as well. Um, so for so for children who are receiving who are experiencing bullying, maybe talking about getting a one on one for that time, um, getting some more adult supervision. Those sorts of things can definitely help a child in the school setting. Um, and especially, you know, I mentioned that inclusive settings are where kids are more of at risk. Making sure the school staff are aware of autism and aware of that increased risk can really help our students as well. You know, making sure the traffic staff is trained um, and actually making sure that the peers are trained as well. Providing disability education for them can definitely help. And um, there is evidence that if a peer speaks out against bullying, the bullier tends to stop. So finding ways for your child to get peer support and connect them with kids who can really be protective can be really powerful for them.
0: I love all of that, Karen. That's all amazing. What else? I didn't mean to interrupt you. What else?
1: A <laughs> uh, couple more things. And I think the most important thing, and I think the thing that that adults can help the most with is really being responsive. You know, whether it's the school staff or whether that's, you know, the parent taking it seriously, being responsive helps. And adults, whether again, school or parent can help teach kids important skills, you know, emotional self-regulation, coping, you know, teaching our kids to ignore the peers, um, teaching them to identify those supportive peers. And I think the most important thing is teaching them to be assertive in communicating when they need help. You know, if they talk to one adult and it doesn't work, persisting and finding in another adult, um, all of those things can really help our kids, um, whether the bullying, get through it and and, uh, have it happen less to them.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. Did I did I cut you off? Is that uh, can I ask questions now? Okay. What are your questions? questions. (laughs) Okay. So a bunch of different things here. First one that comes to mind. This is a question that parents have been asking me a lot, and so I I want you to know I'm going to be reaching out to you to ask you to come talk about bullying to our parent organization as well because they're they would love this. Um, But one of the things that that parents talk about, this is all gray area, right? It's so hard to be black and white with this because every single circumstance is different, but they're trying to teach their kids about bullying. Um, But now their kids have swung the other way and a child walks by them and by accident knocks their papers off their desk, totally by accident. And they go, I was being bullied. I was being bullied. And then they obsess on it saying that child bullies me and can't let it go. So do you have anything in your bag of tricks for that?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of research on video modeling in general and with bullying. And I think if we, you know, can find clips, maybe on YouTube show, I I love like Disney shows because there's always conflict happening in those, those like Disney teen shows Um, show kids the clips and talk it through like, Oh, was that bullying? And I think giving examples, giving non-examples um, before that stressful situation that occurs for that kid can be really helpful. Yeah. And I think we have to acknowledge that, that you know, that situation that you described, that's stressful for that kid. It may not be bullying, but it's still stressful and you still have to teach them the appropriate way to solve that problem. So, you know, the first step is identifying which kind of problem is it, is it bullying or not? And then and then how do we go from, where do we go from there?
2: Karen, and can would we go, suggest as parents that we, talk to our kids about the types of bullying, so they're aware, like go over the physical, verbal, relational, and cyberbullying, so they're aware of the different types.
1: Yes, and give specific examples. I know we don't necessarily wanna talk about this with our kids, but that's what's gonna prepare them the most. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I also wanna acknowledge that many people wrote in while we were talking about this and were identifying the types of bullying that they had experienced, Mm and i i don't want to gloss over that i want to say how sorry we all are that that happened and we all are working towards finding a way that we can minimize or get rid of bullying but i don't i don't want it to be like oh well it's just normal and everybody goes through it it shouldn't be so we're sending a big heart to everybody who has said that they have been bullied in any way form or shape it's not okay it's not okay when when an individual has been bullied is there anything in the research that shows how we can help them after the fact, Karen. Mm.
1: I think I think, like I mentioned earlier, that adult being responsive and dealing with it, and you know, if it's in school, if the school has a clear policy, having that bully be disciplined is is really important because I think making sure that this doesn't get into an entrenched pattern is the thing that's going to help our kids the most. So stopping it as early as possible is really the most critical thing.
0: So, Nancy, my next question is for you, because we both said that our, our kids have experienced bullying. And I'm wondering for you, what was it like? Like, how, did Wyatt come to you and tell you that he was being bullied or did one of the staff tell you? And then what happened as a result of it?
2: He alluded to the fact that certain kids were red flags and that he talked, tried to talk to them. And he's not supposed he wasn't supposed to talk to those kids. They were off limits to him because they did engage in bullying with him. So I reiterated that he was not to interact with those kids. And I spoke to his teacher, his counselor, and she said that he did have a tendency to try to interact with them and provoke them. So I don't think he was aware to the degree he was being bullied. Um, It kind of went over his head a bit. Um, And um, I did kind of discover it by him talking to me.
0: There you go. And, and we, we discovered that Jem was being bullied. He didn't tell us for the longest time uh-huh. but, uh, and, and nobody else told us, but again, he was still pretty young, but I will say this that we've had a couple of different times where he, when he was younger, when he experienced bullying and that it really, our experience of it and what happened really was dictated by how the teacher reacted. Uh-huh. Because in one instance, the teacher was like, that is not okay. Rearranged uh-huh. your classroom talked with her students, offered more support, kept a closer eye, intervened, um, you know, stepped in several times and said, what's happening here? That's not okay. Uh, Tried to reward people for being good buddies, all of that. Later, we had a teacher who was like, I didn't see it, so it didn't happen. And would do nothing about it, and I had to go over her head, and she still was like, well, it didn't happen. Because if she didn't see it, it didn't happen. How did you she find out about it, Shannon? Because uh, because Jem told me, and then I eventually asked other students in the class and said, "Did you see it?" And they said yes. But the teacher said I didn't see it, so it didn't happen. Yeah. And it, and it was a very frustrating year. Looking back on it, I wish the first time she did that, I had taken him out of her class and and like put in a formal complaint. Like it's probably one of my biggest regrets. You know. Um, because t- schools say that they have this zero tolerance policy, but a lot of times, and I've, I've seen this with other parents, they come back and go, well, nobody saw it or they'll say, oh, okay, we're handling it. But they, because of the laws, they won't tell you if the child was reprimanded or what was happening. Sometimes they won't even tell you the name of the child. Cause a lot of times I'm like, let me call their mother. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want you to do that. They're like, let us handle it. And let us not tell you what's happening, which makes me a little itchy.
2: And having a zero <laughs> tolerance policy is very different than educating kids and making them aware of bullying. I mean, I, I'd be interested to know how many schools, what percentage of schools actually have an anti-bullying program that helps educate our kids. It seems like it's more incumbent upon the parents to do that.
0: And I think a lot of times the anti-bullying programs that I've seen that I really love are the ones that are proactive. Mm -hmm. That are, that they, uh, we, I can't think of the name of it. We have a wonderful, we've had them on the show organization here in Los Angeles where um, it's not the buddy program. It's the friendships, friendship circle. And, and so kids volunteer to be um, buddies with other kids and they go through their school years, being friends with them. They have special activities. They get to go off campus and do things together. They, during the summer break, they're pen pals and those kids are reinforced heavily for being friends with other children. And I loved that. I thought mm-hmm. that was remarkable. Um, we've also seen over the years, Karen, that uh, there was a study many years ago when Gem was little that came out of Santa Barbara that said a little bit what you were talking about that if it, p- the peer thing, that if your child mm-hmm. is moving in a group of peers, they're less likely to be bullied. So they were advocating that get your child involved in a club that's part of their core interest so that they meet other kids who have that core interest and that those kids are less likely to be bullied. Yes. Love that. Yes. Absolutely love that. And that one example that they gave was a kid who was really interested in, in graphic design. So they formed a club at his school for graphic design. He ended up being the president of it And he had all these friends who were also into graphic design and then everybody left him alone because he had a posse. We all need a posse. Yes. Yes, we do. You talked
2: about about the consequences of bullying, which are very disturbing actually, anxiety, depression, and suicide. Um, Do we know whether these are more prevalent with kids on the spectrum? these symptoms um, than they are with neurotypical
1: kids? I The research was a little unclear on that, um, but it kind of uh, ge- gears a little bit towards we think so. Um, okay. There are some studies on both sides there. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. something
2: parents really need to be aware of if their kids yeah. are exhibiting any of those symptoms. And it might be if they are showing depression or anxiety um, that they are being bullied at
1: school. We have to get behind what's causing it. Right. Actually, I, I want to clarify a little bit there. Um, if a kid's being bullied, um, it, it's unclear whether or not there's a greater risk if they're, if they're autistic, if they're going to have suicidal thoughts. However, in general, our population of kids with autism um, have more suicidal thoughts and more suicidal uh, actions. That That is I, definitely something that's seen I overall. Think, Shannon, mm-hmm. you and I covered that yeah. earlier,
2: I know, yeah. in, a, in a segment.
1: Yeah,
0: Um, it's so disheartening, so disheartening, but I feel like, you know, a lot of this piece that we're talking about uh, hinges on an individual's ability to communicate, Yes, to understand what they're feeling and to communicate it. So to me, it all goes back to, we want to make sure that all individuals have functional communication that we get good ABA support that encourages communication of all kinds, whether it's, you know, verbal, vocal, uh, sign language on an iPad, the ability to to understand what you're feeling and to convey it. You know, Janet, who said, I'm 60 plus years old and I didn't realize what you were saying. I was excluded and I didn't realize that I was being bullied and I'm 60 plus years old. I think, you know, we have to work really hard to make sure that individuals on the autism spectrum uh, first understand what they're feeling and that, and we validate that, that whatever they're feeling, we validate and, and encouraging them to communicate what they're feeling so that when they, because the next step is, is when you need help to ask for help. And I, and I also love, you know, you talked about sometimes we ignore the bullies, but that is such a gray area. Like it's, it takes such an adult mind. Um, and And for any kid, neurotypical or otherwise to understand in this moment, this is a bully who's trying to hurt me versus this is a bully who is saying things to get attention. Tough, tough, but we can work towards that. Uh, question: Have there been any studies on bullying while being a kid leading to PTSD and imposter syndrome as adults? Oh, I did
1: not see that in the in the studies that I looked at, but it is possible. I did not look for that specifically.
0: But I, I, you know, I think the PTSD—it just that makes total sense. I'm not sure about imposter syndrome, but. I, you know, I, I know people who are horribly bullied as children and have PTSD as a result. So, um, you know, that to me, I would love to see studies on it, but it seems like that's logical yes. and, and we, and we want to try to head that off at the past before that happens. Right. Um, Definitely. So Uh, Karen, you know, Nancy, did you have any other questions? Otherwise, I'm going to let Karen go.
2: No, I think this covers it. Thank you, Karen, for making us aware of this. It's really, even though the numbers are disturbing, Mm -hmm. I think we have some answers as to what solutions can be with this, which is to be involved as a parent and be vigilant at an early age. Yeah.
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen, uh, for sharing all. That. And as I said, I'm going to be reaching out to you to see if we'll <laughs> talk to our parents about this. Of course. Uh, Karen knows I head up a parent group and, and I press her into service whenever possible. Uh, but thank you so much. Thank everybody. If people have questions, uh, if any of you want something covered by Karen or um, a lot of times we have Leah Hirschfeld. Uh, on, on the And we've had other people from your team as well, but uh, I, I know Leah loves to be here with us and we love to have her she and we does. love when you're here. <laughs> um, so if you guys have questions and you you're like, I want to know what the research says about this, or I've seen this particular research study and I don't understand it. Can somebody break this sucker down for me and let me know what the takeaway here is? All of those things they're happy to come and and do. They're here once a month with us, so we will see them again in 2021. Can anybody That's believe it's already going to be 2020? Can't come now. fast enough. <laughs> who, who can hit the reset button faster? Uh, right? So Karen, we we just love you. Uh, and, and I love they, they, I was aware and I should have said imposter syndrome they've given us definition never thinking you're good enough despite your accomplishments. Um, which I think I, is that not a thing that almost everybody has a little bit of. I would think. I've definitely experienced it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm holding up my yeah. hand going. at any moment I wait for the hook to come and say. You, you don't have the credentials to do this, uh, so um, I'm not trying to make light of it because I think for some people it's a very, very serious thing and can be very debilitating, but I think that everybody has some element of this. I just wanted to do a check to see if I needed to go make a, a professional visit, uh, <laughs> if, it just, if it was just me uh anyway karen we love you uh we love what you guys do and please if we don't see you have happy holidays and a happy new year and we'll see you back in 2021 thank you thank you thank all karen. as well
1: thanks you take, take care, care. Thanks a lot
0: bye-bye and as uh,
2: Shannon said, if anybody has areas they want to have her break down the research on that's get let us know because yeah, they will in right, right. Into
0: on any platform that you're on, or you can always email me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. So we wanted to morph a little into some in the news yes. for you, uh, which my computer has sort of messed up and I don't have the first story. Do you have the first story there with you, I'm going to go back to it here. Um,
2: okay. It's a disturbing story, Sh- Shannon, um, from the Washington Post, and uh, the the title is, a, ki- a Killer Being Tried on Murder Charges is Blaming Autism. The Autism Community is Outraged. And this story comes out of Toronto. I don't know how many of you remember that uh, a bunch of pedestrians were mowed over um, at a Toronto thoroughfare in 2018, killing 10 people. Um, and it says the man who rammed in a white, no, he rammed a white riddle van into unsuspecting pedestrians, um, has pleaded guilty, but his defense is he can't be found criminally responsible on 10 counts of first degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder because he was diagnosed at age five with autism
0: spectrum disorder.
1: So-
0: yeah, and, and people are rightly up in arms about this. This is a very specific law in Canada that says that if you have a developmental disability and it can be proven that you did not understand what you were doing, that you can't be, you, you, you're hospitalized. It's, it's sort of like here in the United States, um, if someone is dirt, deemed insane, for instance, Then we put them in a mental hospital uh, where they're in lockdown, but we don't put them in general population prison. Uh, The thing that's really, I think, very uh, poignant and terrifying here is that on several different times when he was interviewed, uh, he demonstrated that he did know what he was doing and why that he was doing. We've talked before on this show that there is a very terrifying um, group of people on the internet that prey on, uh, particularly young men on the spectrum in a certain age range and, um, who are feeling like they are celibate because women are not interested in them. And there is this thought out there, they're called incels. incels and, right. um, that they're, they're telling them that it's all the women's fault, uh-huh. um, that women should be subservient to them, that women should offer their bodies to them. I mean, it's really heinous. And this young man was participating in this, mm-hmm. and on at least one occasion had said that he, and most of his victims were women, by the way, and on one occasion said that he was doing it to uh, as a rallying cry for incels uh, to encourage them to harm women. So, um, and now, now that he's very, uh, you know, in a very tight spot where he might go to jail for the rest of his life is saying, oopsie, it's because I had a diagnosis when I was five. And and I think there are a lot of people in the autism community who are are finding this really heinous, really difficult Very stressful because the repercussions of this, the potential repercussions of this, are very bad for the community. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Nancy, but I just find it so repugnant. I agree,
2: Shannon. And there were a lot of experts that weighed in on on this. Um, One of Canada's most prominent forensic psychiatrists testified that he did not think, in the young man's last name, is Manassian met the not criminally responsible threshold because he was not in a state of psychosis or experiencing all-consuming hallucinations or delusions at the at the time of the attack, which is one of the criteria um, that can be used to determine yeah. whether... Look, uh,
0: here's, here's the thing. Somebody gave this person a license to drive a vehicle, and at that mm-hmm. point they decided that he was uh, aware of his actions enough to do that. And when they did that, then he's responsible for everything he does behind the wheel of that car. Um, And, you know, uh, I, it's a little poignant for me because we just went through a case and we just covered a couple of weeks ago, the young man in North Carolina, that the governor is going to commute part of his sentence because he was driving a car and mowed down two people and um, then when asked afterwards, did he mean to do it, said yes. And then later, it's a different argument because um, he answered he meant to do it yes because he didn't understand how to communicate what he did mean to do. To me, that's an entirely different circumstance than somebody who very deliberately, you know, and said beforehand and has said since that he meant to drive it into a group of people and is now going, but you can't blame me for that because I have an autism spectrum diagnosis. That's just a very different thing for me. Yeah. Um, so I am hopeful that the people in, uh, that are involved in this case will see fit to not allow this to be an excuse for this young man and for him to be responsible for his actions.
2: Yeah, you can certainly um, understand why various autism groups are up in arms about this. And it reminds me, Shannon, of um, back at Sandy Hook I don't know if you recall that oh, yes. situation oh, yes. ignited a debate nationally because there were, um, discussions about, um, whether he was on the autism spectrum and whether that was responsible for his committing a mass murder. So, uh, once again, it's a perception issue that, um, we certainly don't want it out there that those on the autism spectrum are more prone to this kind of v- violence.
0: Yeah, uh, and and I want to speak very clearly um, for myself as a woman and for Autism Live. Uh, we do not uh, allow people who are from this uh, subsect of uh, I don't I don't even want to say humanity. This group of incels and their misogynistic um, rhetoric we don't allow any of that here on Autism Live. So just putting it out there, we will shut any of that down uh, on this website. It's, uh, and I I wanna encourage people, if you are a young man on the autism spectrum to be very aware that these people are, are people who do not have your best interests at heart. And for parents who have young men on the autism spectrum to keep your eyes open for this because it is absolutely insidious and heinous and uh, not good for anyone, but especially your child. Having said that, uh, let's move on to talk about our second story.
2: Our second story, which is um, Sia's, uh, somebody just wrote in autistic people so much more likely to be the victim than the perpetrator. I think that's a really good point, Carly. uh, I do. To us, yeah.
0: Yes, and we do see that this group is preying on our young men and, Uh and telling them things that then they think are true. And that's why I'm urging all of you to be very, very cautious about your young men and what they're hearing.
2: Um, Moving on to the second story. Um, This story um, concerned um, Sia, the musical star Sia, um, did a trailer for her, uh, is it a video, Shannon, or a film?
0: She has, she has made a film. I mean, she's made several videos, right. um, but she has um, made a film. And uh, it w- the thing about it is, is that this film was made many years ago and for, I don't know why the, it never was released, Right. but they now are getting supposedly the film is going to be released very soon. Although I think that's all a little bit precarious right. uh, based on what happened two weeks ago.
2: And the actor in the film is portraying someone on the autism spectrum, but the actual actor was not someone on the spectrum. Yes. So that's where the firestorm has has
0: uh well started. that's that's where it started. Um Sia released, I think it was two weeks ago today. She released the trailer for the film and said, I'm so proud, and she has um worked Many times with Maddie Ziegler, the little actress, um, she's just uh, amazed by her talent and they just have this artistic uh, relationship and she loves to work with her. And she's a beautiful dancer, this young woman who's who's now 18, but was 15 when this movie was shot. And, you know, I am someone I mean, you know, my my, my master's degree is in the fine arts and in the creative arts. And I believe in uh, you know artistic license, creative license. That you know it takes all kinds of things. So in any case, I I hear that Sia has this relationship with Maddie Ziegler, and she loves to work with her. So she had written this short story, decided to take it to film. Sia has a very good friend that has uh, a child who's on the spectrum. This was a storyline that was something that resonated with Sia. She really wanted to explore this. And in her artistic mind, three years ago, said, I really want to do this with Maddie Ziegler. And if you see the trailer, there's reasons why she wanted it to be Maddie Ziegler. The the storyline reminds me a little bit of Poe, Nancy. Do you remember Poe? Like four yes. years ago, we were covering Poe, John Asher yes. film. Right. And it's a, it's a boy who's on the autism spectrum, but we get to see him when he is in his mind. Yes. And see what it is like in his mind. And in that case, Poe was played by an actor who was not on the autism spectrum and did a brilliant job. He but was times brilliant. have changed. Right. Now, so,
2: because, because of the fact that there are so many... um Actors and performers that are on the spectrum that are available to be cast in in these roles. I think that's the biggest change that's occurred.
0: Yes. And you know, I mean, I think four years ago, if somebody had said, you know, we're going to to uh, do a movie about uh, an individual who's on the autism spectrum, And in some scenes, they need to be, you know, on the spectrum and very impacted. And in some scenes, they need to dance as if they are, you know, have nothing uh, that's holding them back. Um, I think a lot of people would have been like, gosh, I don't know if that's possible. You're going to have to do a big casting call. It is four years later. And we know that there are people who can sing that song, dance that dance, act that act, and that they're on the autism spectrum but this movie was made three years ago. So she released the trailer and rightly so, a bunch of self-advocates immediately took to Twitter and said, gosh, I really wish that you had used an actress on the spectrum. Why didn't you use an actress on the spectrum? I'd like to know why you didn't use an actress on the spectrum. Please, will you consider using actors on the spectrum in the future? And I was so proud of them For speaking up, speaking their truth, advocating for themselves, putting it out there, asking Sia questions. What I would have loved to have happened is for Sia to say, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so, you know, please understand, I made this movie three years ago. And three years ago, we were in a different place. I had this relationship with Maddie Ziegler. But by the way, I did cast a bunch of people on the autism spectrum and I cast people with other abilities too. And I didn't just cast them as people who have other abilities, I cast one as a doctor and I'm with you in this. Just please understand that I had this creative it was from eight years ago with this actress, but in every project I do, I'm gonna be with you, I'm your champion, let's do this, let's rock. That would have been great. Right. That's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> that is not what happened. And I and I just, I wanted to be as PR person two weeks ago and, and say, you. let's sit down and talk about this. But she reacted defensively. Right. And she said things that broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And and I was angry. I can't imagine how people on the spectrum felt. Um, but she did, she reacted defensively. Mm-hmm. And there've been lots of people who've chimed in about it, but I think the best article that was done by Forbes And Forbes talked to four young actors that are on the spectrum and said, what do you want to say about this? I encourage everybody to go and read it. And, and I love it. um, Not just because three of the actors are people that we know quite well. I think that Alex Plank, who I adore, uh, was like, he spoke so eloquently in this article. I was so proud of him. I don't think I've ever heard Alex speak as eloquently as he does in this Forbes article. Uh, Kobe Byrd, who we just uh-huh. think the sun rises and sets, who just is such a pure human being, says amazing things. Um, Lillian, who's been on our show from everything's going to be okay, said amazing things. And then there was another actress who we haven't had the benefit of having her on the show. They just, they all, said amazing things. None of them were tearing Sia down, um, but they were sa- saying, this really hurts us. This hurts mm-hmm. us as a community. One of the things that Sia said wh- that I think was particularly hurtful, I mean, there were a couple of things. One actress wrote in and said, "You know, I wish you'd considered us. And I don't, you know, did you audition people? And she didn't for that role because she had somebody already in mind, mm-hmm. right? She could have just said that, but instead she said, well, maybe you're a bad actor." Not okay. Yeah. Not, not okay. okay. So.
2: Not the way to respond.
0: No. And the other thing that she said that I'm aware of that was, I think the core of the problem was that she said, um, listen, this role, basically I'm paraphrasing. She said this role had big requirements and I made the decision to not have it be somebody on the spectrum because I thought it would be cruel to have someone on the spectrum play this role. And and I know that she was saying that, thinking that that's a thing, and that that was said with love. And I think instead it was just like an arrow through everybody's heart. Right, right. Um, that giving someone a job and giving them a chance and allowing them to be challenged in a job is not cruel. It, it and, and saying I I'm I'm going to exclude you from something because I don't think you can do it, and I think even to allow you to try would be cruel is. The ultimate in what I, in what I understand to be ableist, and I and I want to say that I am not someone who, Alex Plank tells me on a regular basis. I'll say something and he'll go, "Well, Shannon, that was just ableist what you said," and then I go, "Really? It was? Explain to me why." And then he explains to me, and I go, "Okay, I guess I'm going to have to work on that. I didn't see it that way," and and it's hard, and I'm humbled sometimes. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm coming from a perfect place, um, and how dare Sia? But we have to move past this as mm-hmm. a community. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm talking too much, Nancy. What What did you think of all this for Buffalo?
2: Well, I just think it showed, unfortunately, on Sia's part, it showed a real lack of awareness
0: and maturity and
2: maturity. Yeah, and you know her responses, her tweets, just put fire fuel to the fire. And um, I think it's a great discussion, though, to have. And getting it out there—the result of this, even though, it was very unpleasant—was uh, that it did have all of these uh, people on the spectrum that are available speak out, and you know, yep. get, there's an awareness now. And I think it won't happen again in the future, hopefully.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know what C is going to do at this point. I don't know whether the film is going to be released. I don't. But I want to encourage her. Um, you know, I'm I'm happy to make this platform available. I, I'm just going to say that it, I wouldn't want to be the person interviewing her. But I'm I'm sure that we have self advocates who would be happy to interview her on Autism Live. And I'm happy to make this platform available if Sia would like to come on. You know, have an opportunity to talk to these individuals face to face. You know, I feel very strongly that you know, Sia, you need to apologize for what you said and do something meaningful for what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, I I hope you hear that. Um, I hope you hear people like Alex Plank saying, we're not telling you, you can only ever cast an individual who's on the spectrum to play someone on the spectrum, but please at least allow them in the room and the opportunity and don't exclude them from the opportunity. Um, that's what they're asking for. That's what they're all asking for. I'm saying hi to D- Diana, who says I'm on the spectrum and own my own network. You go mm. girl. Uh, she says it's been hard getting started. Uh, I've had it since, uh, September and can we partner? I'd love that. Please reach out to me. S.penrod at autism live.com. Let's, let's talk about what you've gotten, what you need. We always want to be of support.
2: Yeah, let's get Um, on the show to talk about this. This is where. Yeah, absolutely.
0: If nothing else, we can have you on the show to promote your network. Mm -hmm. Um, Assuming that, (laughs) assuming that you're not. There was one person who wanted to be on our show who was on the autism spectrum. I said yes. And then I found out that he was one of these people in this incel and the night before the interview, he was on, uh, you know, talking about how he was going to be on autism live the next morning and how he was going to tell everybody that all the problems have happened since 1963 when, and which wasn't, it wasn't even the right year, but he was saying 1963, when women got the right to vote. And after that, everything went downhill and women need to know their place and stay. And I went, what? No, no, nope. Sorry. You're not coming on the show. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like uh, so, uh, let's definitely, uh, I'm sure you're not doing that. So let's definitely talk and see about getting you on the show. We just are not allowing anybody to bully, bully anybody here on the mm-hmm. show. So, uh, we've got one more story for you, which we should have kept Karen around for because it's the research yeah, one. Libra <laughs> um, fish and Smurf cakes link autism gene mutation to digestive woes. Let me say the title of this article again, Zebrafish and Smurf Cakes, Link Autism Gene Mutation to Digestive Woes. Uh, and I don't even begin to understand all this, but I do understand that a, a lot of times when they're looking to see autism-like behavior and the effects of genes and drugs on things, there are two different uh, animal groups that they like to use because they, um, the way that uh, their brains interact with autism genes, apparently I guess, is similar. So one is mice. We talk all the time about the mouse model, mm-hmm. right? But the other is zebrafish, and we've we've shared this before. But before that, I didn't know. Nancy, did you know about the zebrafish? No, thing? I
2: did not. I don't know how they discovered this. That zebrafish. Are useful as a model, but um, this relates to mutation in a top autism gene called SynGap one. Don't and, you just
0: want to crochet that onto a pillow? SynGap one. <laughs> just
2: real slipping one. Um, yeah. And mutations in SynGap one slow the rate at which ge- zebrafish digest food and pass waste. And the findings may explain why some people with SynGap one mutations have gastrointestinal problems.
0: There you go. And, you know, we, a couple of weeks ago, we had, uh, well, it was a month ago, we had Leah Hirschfeld on to talk about, you know, millions of dollars were donated to look at the gastro issues with autism. And we had said, you know, where did all this money go? What have they discovered? What's been happening? And she told us a little bit about uh, what's happened. But I think we're starting to get to the point where they're like, okay, they're just acknowledging that, okay, we can scientifically look at and prove it's not just that it's happening. First they acknowledged, which took forever, autism and gastrointestinal intestinal issues are more likely to be hand in hand. Oh, okay, now, you know, like three years ago, everybody went, oh, all right, that's a thing, which that was a big leap, but now they're saying, and we can scientifically point to it and say it's attached you know, at least in part to this one particular uh, metabolic uh, dysfunction and what happens with the synapse and what the fact that when your intestines aren't working properly, if you are having too much diarrhea or you're having too much constipation, that it's going to affect your behavior and how you think and how you develop. So we can all say, woohoo, we're not there yet. Right, Um, but they're seeing it in the the zebrafish, which means that, you know, hopefully we'll be able... Um, they're also seeing... We've been hearing about shank three. There's another one to crochet on to it. Right. That uh, this plays a role in it too. So there you go. Syngap one and shank three. That someday, you laugh now, but someday we're going to come back to that and know that, you know, all of the big things that have happened that are helping with uh, gastrointestinal issues are all going to come back to those two things, and you're going to wish you had it on a pillow. Uh, Okay, we're almost out of time here, but uh, somebody wrote in, we had our triannual meeting and my son is now under OHI. Is that a part of 504 plan? They recommend specialized academic instruction for him, and it's SAI what in the hey nani nani i love that how you spelled that what in the hey nani nani is that and what will it look like for him also can you talk a bit about what are autistic like behaviors because is it another category that he may fall under Mm -hmm. so i want to say we're not gonna have we're not gonna have time to go through all of this but my question for you is are you in the state of ohio Uh, Or you are, are you in the state of Virginia? Because different people have different abbreviations for different things. And what I want to do is know that so that we can ask Bonnie Yates this question, since it has to do with school. Um,
2: When is Bonnie next on this?
0: show? (laughs) Bonnie is on on Monday. And so she can um, uh, look at some of this. So Bonnie, why I'm asking,
2: Bonnie should, she's in California in Placer County, but she should tune in on Monday.
0: Okay. He- well, then Bonnie will definitely know the answer to this. And I will make sure that she has um, this question. Traven, I don't have the, the chat app up. So can you grab that question um, for me so that I can make sure that Bonnie has that? Uh, and Diana is working on a documentary. So I can't wait to hear more about that. Okay. Fabulous. So, uh, uh, we will get back to you about the OHI and what that has to do with, what in the, Hey, Nani Nani. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say that all the time. So I love that you said that. Uh, and we, we will figure that out on Monday. And if you, if you're worried, cause you can't wait until Monday, make sure you, um, email me s.penrod at autism dot or if there's more information you want Bonnie to know, You can send that to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. Now, I'm going to tell you guys something that I haven't even told Nancy yet. So uh, next week, we are not going to be here for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy for our Sensitive Santa drive-through on Friday. But we will be back here for our very last show of the year the week after, two weeks from now. And on that show, we have Vince Redmond with us so we will be back but then that will be the last show of 2020 um and and then we'll be back in the new year we're not we're not coming back on the air until i think it's the third week in um january okay so we're taking taking a little break regrouping because we want to up our game a little bit and it's very hard to do shows and do that at the same time Plus everybody needs a little bit of a rest. We will be playing oldies, but goodies. So you won't be without autism live. It's sort of, uh, you know, like anything else on, on TV that we'll, we'll play reruns. We're we're not abandoning you and we'll still be available to answer questions online, but, um, we won't be spitting out some new shows for a couple of weeks, but Nancy, thank you so much for being with us here today. I I enjoyed the discussion today. It was really interesting. He did (laughs) a lot of heated topics but anyway uh we'll be back with uh autism live on monday with bonnie yates and then we will be back with let's talk autism with shannon and nancy i believe it's is that the 16th it's two weeks from today until then give your kiddos a hug from me and hug yourselves for me bye-bye you guys bye-bye for now watching autism live to subscribe click here and if you'd like to check out some more of our videos click here